Everyone to episode 152 of Some Like It Scott. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode, we are submitting ourselves to the latest whims and storytelling of M. Night Shyamalan with Old. With me today, as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, how are you doing today? Or maybe more thematically, are you feeling old or young? Uh, I'm I'm still feeling feeling young. I, I will say I was feeling like I might be slightly COVID-stricken uh, for a couple days Uh the last couple of days, um, I was exposed actually last week at a trial that um, I had the judge who was vaccinated ended up getting uh, COVID after the trial um, or he tested positive after like right after the trial. Um, but, you know, I'm vaccinated. I wasn't experiencing any symptoms. And the CDC says then you can just continue behaving normally, um, you know, behaving as I had been as long as that's the case. And uh, and then on Sunday, I started experiencing some very mild symptoms. But, you know, I mean, I wouldn't have been really that concerned about it if it wasn't for the fact that I was exposed. So I did end up going to get a test yesterday, a rapid test, and it came back negative. So I'm, I'm in the clear. I've, you know, been back at work and everything. Uh, I'm feeling fine, honestly. Again, the symptoms weren't that pronounced. It was just the, uh, you know, the fact that I've been exposed. But, yeah, I mean, it's things are things are picking back up a little bit on the the COVID front with this new variant and everything. And I don't know, I'll be interested to see whether things change as far as mask wearing and, um, you know, shutting things. I mean, they're not, they're not going to shut things down again. Cause now there's all these think pieces that are coming out about like, well, we never should have shut anything down in the first place. Um, That's silly. which is an in- interesting take, but, um, yeah, well, I, I will be interesting to see if we, if it, you know, anything will be walked back basically like, you know, capacity restrictions, things like that. Um, now that we've got well, the CDC did come out today and say that they do recommend wearing masks indoors, even for the vaccinated. Yeah. So. I did see that. Um, But yeah, now that we've gotten a taste of the good life, I don't know if anyone's going to be itching to to go back. Yeah, I think the implication, I mean, obviously, we're in very different regions of the world in terms of vaccination Mm -hmm. rates and things like that. Whereas, you know, New York, our case rates have been rising as, you know, these breakthrough infections do occur. And just like you were describing with your judge and your trial, but our death numbers, even three weeks after the case numbers have started to rise are not rising, which means yeah. that the vaccines are working, which means people are staying mm-hmm. out of the hospital. They're not becoming severely ill. They're not dying. So that's a good sign that the vaccines, even though people may be experiencing reinfect or reinfection or breakthrough infections, you know, the fact that it's not happening is a good sign. And I think that, you know, for me, not too much changes. I still wear my mask a lot indoors. You know, when I go to the theater, I'm still wearing my mask, just kind of out of habit um, more than anything. And I still like carrying my mask around everywhere I go because there are some places because businesses do have the leeway to still require mask wearing um, on their premises in, in New York, even though the the regular like the guidelines or whatever are, you know, there's no mandate um, except mm-hmm. on the subway. There's, there's a mandate on the subway in New York. but That's it. Um, yeah. So, I mean, things. I don't really view things changing for me that much because I think I am in the same shoes. as you. I, I don't think things are going to shut down. I do think there will be more places that might require masks. And obviously, if 
you know, the state at the state level, if they require mask wearing again, that's another thing, but I don't think things are going to close down. And I think that I'm feeling reassured by the, you know, the death rates and the hospitalization rates in New York to know that even if people are getting COVID with the vaccine, that the vaccines are still working. So that's reassuring. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the data is pretty clear at this point that that vaccines are still working. The problem is just the people who haven't gotten the vaccine. Ninety-seven um, percent of hospitalizations are people who are unvaccinated. Even, even, uh, even Republican lawmakers have started coming out uh, encouraging people yeah. to get the vaccine, which is uh, uh, quite a twist. But I don't know. Some people might just be so QAnon pilled at this point that they're uh, they're I don't even think they're you have never going to be pilled. I think if you're if you know if you're just listening to the average Republican lawmaker who is positioning themselves in in line with the same rhetoric that Trump used, which I suppose inspired yeah. QAnon. But uh, it's funny, though, you, you say that. And then, like, I read the quotes that the of these, like, lawmakers are saying they're like, you need to, like, take some time with your family and think about it and pray on it. And if you think that the vaccine is right for you, you should get it. I'm like, that's barely encouraging people to get the vaccine. And and football player like I saw today that uh, Sam Darnold and Christian McCaffrey of the Panthers mm-hmm. um, were at camp today and they basically just dodged questions about vaccination. They, but they were they were out there with with no masks on and Sam Darnold had previously said, you know, that he wasn't going to. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, yeah, pe- it, it's crazy that even people, you know, high, high uh, prominent athletes and everything are um, yeah. still sort of refusing to when the, the sign again, the data is pretty clear that it works. And also, I mean, the NFL, you know, may, may start cracking down on, um, well, they have, you know, making so, everybody. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, they haven't required it, but you know, if you're, right. if you have to basically reschedule a match or a game or you, cause you have too few players because of a COVID outbreak, if those players are unvaccinated, you have to forfeit the game as opposed to it yeah. being rescheduled. I mean, I don't know what the chances are that that actually happens, but I mean, I don't, cause I don't know what the percentage probably- of people who are unvaccinated are. The Panthers would have lost the game anyway, so that really doesn't bother me that much. It's just the moral principle of it's them true. not getting the vaccine. And yeah, in, in many ways, it actually is probably like a, a net good for you, Scott, because then you don't have to. It, the hope to won't, the them, hope yeah. won't kill you. <laughs> so right, exactly. <laughs> well, speaking of of hope, I guess actually it's like mildly related to the movie we're about to talk about because, uh, in in many ways, the day that these people go through is pretty hopeless. I'd say. So why don't we just segue right on over to talk about M. Night Shyamalan's latest genre-bending thriller, Old, starring an ensemble cast that includes Gael Garcia Bernal, Vicky Creeps, Thomasine McKenzie, Alex Wolf, Rufus Sewell, Abby Lee, Ken Leung, Nikki Amuka Bird, Aaron Pierre, and Eliza Scanlon. Old is set on a tropical island resort where a married couple Guy, played by Bernal, and Prisca, played by Creeps, have taken their two children, Trent and Maddox, played by various different actors, including Thomasine McKenzie and Alex Wolf, over the course of the film, for a final family vacation before Guy and Prisca announce they are getting divorced. After being told of a secret getaway cove on the opposite side of the tropical island, the family of four travel there with another family of three, played by Sewell, Lee, and Scanlon, only to find that once they're there, something is very wrong. A decaying body washes up on shore that fellow visitor Brendan, a.k.a. Mid-Sized Sedan, played by Pierre, uh, claims was a woman who swam out only an hour previously. The children begin to age rapidly, and something is preventing anyone from leaving the beach. 
leading many of these visitors to realize they're rapidly aging with no means of escape. Scott, did you find old to be a return to form of the master storytelling of Shyamalan? Or was this another film whose twisty reality ages a little too quickly to be enjoyed? Yeah, Scott. I mean, look, I've said this before. I consider myself a little bit of an M. Night Shyamalan defender. Um, I mean, for one, this was on my most anticipated films of the year list. I think it was that came in at number three. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that and and to be fair, I haven't seen some of the, you know, the the Shyamalan movies that are, you know, the ones that need defending like Lady in the Water, The Happening, you know, these mid period movies, The Last Airbender um, that are the ones that people really hate. Um, but I just think that what he what he represents is something that we just don't have enough of, which is um, somebody who is a blockbuster filmmaker who makes big budget, you know, tentpole movies um with you know big name actors solely based on original ip uh i mean no ip original the ip of his brain right um you know there's there's no past ip it's not a franchise it's not you know i mean glass would be like the only exception to that right that's like his one his one like actual franchise that he created well yeah but again he he created that like yeah yeah yeah. that whole thing and i I mean that's I, i find that awesome that he was able to create sort of his own superhero trilogy with with unbreakable split and glass um but yeah i mean you know the last airbender obviously is based on pre-existing source material but that's you know many people would say that's his worst movie so um i think not just worst film but offensively bad i think many people would say and to be fair this is based on a graphic novel um so i don't know how closely it tracks with the graphic novel but anyway the point is Shyamalan represents something that we don't have enough of in uh in filmmaking today and so i am willing to give him a little bit of a pass on some of his more um cringeworthy tendencies um namely you know his his uh his proclivity towards plot twists sometimes that don't always make sense um he often has abrupt endings in his film uh, his dialogue can come off as a little bit wooden at times but again i think that uh you know this I, i'm willing to forgive him for this some of it i mean some I'm, let's not get crazy but some of it because uh because he is doing something that is you know crazy mm-hmm. out there and that we just don't see enough of like i said and old fits right in that camp scott i mean this is one of the weirder movies i have seen in quite a while and we see everything right like we see art house mo- like we saw we watched sundance movies like yeah maybe it's not weirder than the blazing world to be fair but um it's, but, not you know, weird, we, it's not weirder than Strawberry Mansion. I yeah. <laughs> One of my friend Ethan Beller's top 100 favorite movies of all time already, uh, Strawberry Mansion. But, um, but you know, like I said, this movie is one of the weirdest movies I've seen in a while. And it's like, it's the big release of the week. I mean, it's between this and Snake Eyes, I guess. But this made more money than Snake Eyes. Like this this won the box office. Lo- I, mean, lo- I know the bar. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, sure. It, sure. But, it, yeah. you know, it was the big release of the week is my point. And it's something that is just really out there. And, yeah, it definitely features the Shyamalan hallmarks that I was talking about. The dialogue is wooden to an almost. Yeah, uh, it's, it's atrocious. But well, but again, I think some of this is intentional based on um, oh, what we kind of learn generous. over the course of the movie. Um, I don't know that it is, but um, I, I think that some of it is intentional uh, because like this movie is kind of a comedy at times, right? There's intentional comedy in the movie for sure. And I think that some of that comes out of the 
stiffness and affected nature of of the dialogue and of the actor's delivery right like we're not talking about slouch actors here right like we're we're talking about some some quality talent that you you rattled off there uh but their performances are just so out there at times that um yeah. again i i think there's I would. I want to go back and watch it again. I guess is what I'm saying because I think there now. Now knowing the ending, I think there's some stuff that, um, some some little nuances and stuff on the performance that I would pick up that, um, you know, were were intended by Shyamalan, even if they seem a bit weird. In um, well, so what's you know, an example? First, just go, first just go watch. And rip the spoiler off here, if you need to. Uh, like, I mean, what's okay, an example? Let me just like say. Let me just give a, a sort of basic example, like. Sure. The J- J- Jaren, this character, um, who's a nurse, right? And yeah. Ken Leung, I think that's the actor's name. It is, yeah. He keeps he has this recurring bit where he just keeps telling everyone his name. Like, my name is Jaren. I'm Jaren. Yeah. And it just like comes off as kind of ridiculous. Um, again, to a point where I feel like it is like int- intentional comedy because he's delivering it in such a weird manner and like he's just he's sticking it in in weird well, so, places. Well, that's the point then i guess is what i'm asking well that's i i guess i mean that might not have been the best example of something that has a point to it um but i mean rufus sewell some of the stuff that he his character is doing right like with um he he has this recurring bit about like what's he's trying to figure out what the title of this movie is starring marlon brando and jack nichols and you don't understand why he keeps bringing it up until you get to the end of the movie right like until we get sort of what the reveal is about this character and then think certain things start to make sense about why he was behaving and again i'm trying to i'm trying to dance around it a little bit here like why he was behaving in such a um contradictory manner i guess uh at various times in the movie um so that's just i mean that's one example i, I think but um yeah. look the, the movie is not boring it is certainly not boring and no. Again, it's something that I give Shyamalan a lot of credit for. Yeah, there will be people who disagree, I guess, on whether certain things were intentional. Sounds like maybe we do a little bit. Um, but I, I mean, I found I, I was I was constantly engaged by what was going on. I think there are parts of the reveal that um, are more a little bit more hand wavy than others um, when we do get towards you know the last act and the twists start to to unravel. Um, but I found the movie compelling. Um, I don't think it's among Shyamalan's best. Like many people seem to be comparing this to The Village, which is I'm I'm not exactly sure why they're picking uh, why they're making that the comparison to that movie in particular. But I think The Village is a better movie. I think The Village is a more uh, emotionally affecting movie than this. <clears throat> but again, it's mm-hmm. it's something that we haven't seen this summer. It's something that we may not see the whole year. Uh, for the rest of the year, a film like this, and I give a lot of credit to to M Night Shyamalan for this. He al- he always swings for the fences. This one isn't a home run, but like for me, it's a solid, you know, single. He might stretch it into a double, maybe like a fielding error or something helps him stretch it into a double. Um, COVID <laughs> helps it into a yeah, double. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a base hit, um, and I think for someone like M Night who has had some real lows in his career. Again, I haven't seen you know, something like the last airbender or after earth, but, um, for someone like him who has struck out, who has, who truly has swung and missed on some of these movies. Um, I think that, you know, a base hit is, is promising. And I think it continues a good run for him here that started with, you know, the visit split glass. And now this movie, I think that's four good movies in a row. Um, this might be fourth out of four for me. Um, but I still had a good time with it. 
Yeah, I, I think this <clears throat> film is when you say the film's not boring, I think that's like the first place I'd start because I think that a lot of what my thoughts have coalesced around is that like in spite of a lot of flaws in this film, the meat of this movie from like minute 20 ish to I'd say minute 100 before like the last 10 minutes of the movie and all the twists, you know, truly come out and unfurl and whatnot. It's pretty captivating. It's like a pretty, a pretty <laughs> engrossing film, I think. And you know, uh, I I agree with your point about Rufus Sewell's character, Charles. I don't think that I don't think his character is one of the more offending ones in terms of bad dialogue. His um, performance is just wild in this movie. It's Rufus so Sewell's funny. performance is wild. <laughs> so, I mean, to, to mild spoilers for this film, for a while, I thought his character had dementia, which would have been a huge like an incredible compliment to his performance in The Father <laughs> yeah. earlier, earlier this year. I know that's not actually ultimately how it shakes out. He has schizophrenia, but um, I just find that and, to be a hilarious, that would have been the, just a hilarious compliment to The Father yeah. earlier this year. And just to, just to add on to this for a second, because I wanted to say this previously, but you know, one of my favorite movies is Mulholland Drive, one of my favorite movies of all time. And that's a movie where you can watch it for the first time and for long portions of the movie, you could be like, Naomi Watts is not giving a good performance in this movie. And then once you start to, once the layers start to unravel, once you figure out what's actually going on, and once you rewatch it, you realize, oh, actually, Naomi Watts is giving like one of the greater performances, I think, of the 21st century. I'm not saying anyone in old is doing that. Uh, but the point is, I feel like this is, it's the same sort of thing where yeah. um, a, a first watch when you don't know what's going on, you might you're you're going to just focus on the surface level, which is that the performances are, you know, kind of wooden, kind of affected at times. I'm not saying that necessarily you would get more out of it the second time, but it does feel like that kind of movie. I see. The thing for me is that I don't feel like the performances, really, any of them are that bad. To be honest, I just think that some characters are just getting served a, a terrible dish of lyrics to be consuming, and I think that Ken Leung's character, who as far as I can tell, is not someone who is sick. I think he's one of the people on the island who's not sick. Um, just has an atrocious set of lines. And his character is just like really unfortunately treated, I'd say. I think Abby Lee's character, Crystal, is another one. Um, she's a not bit great. over the top. I don't know. And again, it's hard to tell if that's the performance or how it's written. Probably a little bit of both. Um, I mean, she she does have an illness. So I guess there's something going on there. But the way in which she goes about handling that just feels just like ludicrously over the top to me um, where it doesn't work. And yeah, so I mean, I don't want to we're going to get into the characters and, and performances a little bit more in a second. But what I will say is that, again, I thought the movie was pretty engrossing for the middle part. I just think that the film, the biggest problem with the film is that in a different way than Glass, which is a movie we reviewed on the podcast, like this twist just like doesn't land with any any emotional weight whatsoever. It, it was just such a such a dud ending to me like it's it's interesting the concept of what they're doing the fact that they are you know treating they're essentially using these people as like guinea pigs and sacrificing these people's lives clinical trials yeah yeah you know aggressive clinical trials to treat treat these people and find cures to illnesses which is an interesting concept but they just don't do like that's it though it's just like there's just a realization and like that's pretty much the movie yeah and there's I, just, and that's and it's just really it just felt completely flat to me. 
Yeah, I, it didn't fall completely flat for me. But when I say that this movie was not as emotionally affecting as The Village, that's kind of what I meant. Like, because when sure. the twist gets revealed at the end of The Village, it's actually quite moving, or at least I found find it is. Um, and I feel like that's what this movie wanted to be. Like, I, I feel like, um, you know, they they wanted you to to be emotionally affected, but uh, it it doesn't quite. Can I mean, you know, I think the central relationship between the brother and sister is is good. Uh, I, I think that part of it lands. Um, but yeah, I don't know that I. I didn't felt... get much of that to me, to be honest. I, I didn't really feel like there was much there between Alex Wolf <clears throat> and Thomasine McKenzie, who played the role for the most, like for the largest part of the film on those there. Like, I think because there's so many characters, and I think this was another one of the key issues. And I, what I will say is that I saw, I was actually listening to part of Dan Merle's review for this as well. And he had a similar thought that like, I don't know if it's a problem with the graphic novel and staying too close to adaptation, but it just feels like they spend so much time in the first half of the movie, like 30 or 45 minutes, it feels like, with like kind of the same thing happening over and over. Someone's aged a little bit. They're just sprinting across the, the exactly. beach like, yeah. oh, something's happened over here now. And I there's mean, no again, chance I, to develop characters. I almost found it kind of amusing like again i i don't know i, I some, some of it's probably intentional some of it's probably unintentional i think but I, I think that yeah. is i don't i don't think the amusing nature of that is intentional i didn't get yeah, that maybe. vibe at least and i think that that comes at the cost of not feeling like yes i am invested in these characters but not feeling an emotional connection between a lot of these characters and i think that that harms the end where there's not really many people left and so if you're not bought into like the particular relationship that's left on the island, it falls a bit flat for me. I also think this movie just gets it wrong in terms of exactly how it ends. I think it would have been a lot more interesting if they're, you know, the last five minutes of the film had been chopped off. Like you get the twist reveal and then there's like this ambiguous nature of like what's happening sort of at the end um, rather than like the full unraveling of the whole scheme. I think that might've actually been a more interesting ending. Um, like it, it, it's a twist ending that needed a little bit more of a cliffhanger, I think, because there's like, there's not, there's no, there's no uncertainty about what happens at the end of the movie, um, which I think actually contributes to sort of the emotional letdown that it generates. Well, yeah, I I guess the only uncertainty is where do they go from here, right? Like the, the brother and sister, they have to live their life 50 years older than they were before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. What what is it he says like at the very end? Uh, Alex Wolf's character. I mean, it's not Alex Wolf anymore, but sure. the actor playing him is like, how do you, you know, how do you call your family member and tell them or whatever that the, the four year old kid that or not four year old but six you know, year old yeah six year old kid that they knew is now a fifty year old man like yeah it's been one day yeah I mean I I agree but. Yeah, again, you, like that's an interesting hypothetical, I suppose, but the movie doesn't explore that. In that sense, I almost think that like the movie should have been longer, uh, which I'm not advocating for. But if it was going to, I do mean, again, that, his yeah. his endings are abrupt. I mean, my favorite one of his movies is is uh, Unbreakable, but like that, the only Very flaw in that ending, movie yeah. to me is like it just it just ends like, and it's just you're mm-hmm. like, wait, what? It's like a, it's like a smash uh, take ending. Almost. I mean, it's a fantastic movie still, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, and, and abrupt endings don't have to be bad all the time. I, I just think that it didn't, sure. it didn't, it didn't nail it right. Um, in many ways, it didn't. Again, for a movie that I think is pretty captivating in the middle half of it, you know, twenty five to seventy five percent of the movie, um, 
it is it it feels like it builds up a lot of tension and just something about it right like almost as soon as the day ends and they wake up and they're on their own on the island it just feels like the air has been let out of the balloon like like at that point i just like i'm not even sure like what outcome would have made any difference to me at that See, point that's, something about it but that but that's when i liked like the brother and sister stuff that happens then like between the two of them sort of sure. they're just on the island at the end when everyone else has has died like but just like nothing happens i guess is my thing it's like they're just debating about which which way they should go to try to get off the island next and i just don't think i just didn't find that really rewarding at all well, I th- yeah maybe i mean i don't know i feel like there's a there's a conversation there about like you know, is it is it worth trying? Like, should we just accept our fate and, um, you know, just try to make the most of our lives here um, on the island? Or should we, like, actually try to do this? And Like, is it even worth it anymore without the people around us? Again, I think that's a super interesting question. Not one I feel like they explore at all, like, in the film. It's like, it's a question yeah. that is posed and then they move on from. Um yeah, I mean, it's certainly not explored with the sort of depth that because they're they're not even it. actually making that decision because they they find that clue or whatever, right? Like they're debating this thing, they don't come to a conclusion, and then they find this clue about how to yeah like, they, they need to explore bailed the out rate. a little bit, maybe, maybe yeah yeah. So it's like asking a lot of questions, but it doesn't know actually what the, what it stands for. Um, so again, I just think these are. I think that the movie is still just to go back to the original point, and then we can talk in more detail about the characters and performances. I think the movie is still captivating. I found it to be very engrossing from, you know, the minute they entered the beach to again, sort of the climactic moments at night uh, at the end of the first day, I found that to be really engrossing. Um, and, and in spite of that, you know, I did enjoy the time. I do like a good puzzle box needing to be, you know, uh, resolved and to, and to be figured out. It's like, it feels like what is like basically the third escape room type movie I've watched in like the last couple weeks. Um, Cause I'll tell you today, they're trying to get off this beach. That's what it's about. Um, yeah. There's so, been yeah. some great, great memes on Twitter about this. Just, Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. D- different variations on like, you know, we, you go to the beach that makes you X weird thing, you yeah. know, not, what's, not old, but something. What's else. the best one you've seen? Oh, gosh. I, I wish I could, uh, I wish I could think of what one if they were young. Head, ben, I, I did see a Benjamin Button if they were young. tweet where it's like, what happens uh, to Benjamin yeah. Button on the yeah, 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 on yeah. The yeah somebody, somebody sent me that one. Uh, yeah, like that, that would now that's a real conundrum, right? There <laughs> David Fincher and uh, and M. Night Shyamalan need to uh, need to team up and and see what they can do. The problem is, neither of them really, really write good movies. I mean, because Fincher hasn't written any movies, but. You know, yeah, Shyamalan's weakness Fisher is probably writing. Right, um, they just need to take for Aaron Sorkin. He needed to get a trifecta, a dual director Aaron Sorkin film. This was the one I liked. Uh, asking me if the beach made me older is a violation of my HIPAA rights, oh, which yeah. is a combination of like two sort of things that went in on. We had in the movie. Jack yeah. Prescott talking about how like like randomly uh, invoking HIPAA in a press conference when he was asked about his vaccine or whatever. And now like it's become kind of a, a bit. So I thought that was a good uh, combination of memes there. Yeah. I mean that also in the fact that it's a clinical trial. So there's like HIPAA. Sure. And edging the movie sure. too. It's like, man, mm-hmm. some good jokes there. All right, Scott, we've, we've kind of started talking about all of them already. There's a huge laundry list of people in this cast, kind of as I laid out at the beginning, setting things up. But I'd love to just ask you, of the ensemble, 
who stood out the most to you? And maybe what's one character, if that's separate, what's one character that also stood out a lot for you? I mean, I think Rufus Sewell is the performance that's that struck me the most, I guess, yeah. because it's just he he's fully committing, right? He is all in on I liked him, yeah. What what this character is supposed to be, what Shyamalan's vision is. Um, and it's it's weird, it's funny. Like I said, the whole Marlon Brando bit. Uh it like again, it, there are times when it's obviously intended for comedy because he he'll just like drop it in right in the middle of everyone else having a serious conversation about like people yeah. dying, and then all of a sudden here's Rufus Sewell back here talking about schizophrenic. What was episode. the name of that movie? Um, what was the name of that movie, it, Scott? On the spot, what was it? I don't I honestly don't know. Like I don't even know if there was a movie that they were both in, but uh, I'll I probably send my words. Miranda. Yeah. Go on. We'll see. Um, but anyway, I thought his performance was was effective uh for that reason. I, I here's what I'll say. This probably sounds kind of bad, but I just think that Gael Garcia Bernal and Vicky Crapes, the and the combination of Shyamalan's dialogue with they're not quite all their American accents. Like, again, they're 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 not from America, so like they, you know, they have accents. But they have their own accents, yeah. Yeah, they're not trying to do American accents. I probably phrased that poorly, but anyway, the combination of those two things, there's a barrier there. Like, it it, it just it makes it hard to fully buy in, I guess, to these performances or characters. I really think. interesting. Um, I, I don't know. That's just kind of how I felt because again, it's the it's Why? the accented delivery combined with the wooden dialogue that um, it's just a, it's just a weird combination. It's a weird effect, I guess. I, I don't know. Like, um, I don't know if I can put my finger on why exactly, but um, but anyway. I, so so their performances didn't. I mean, I still think they're both really talented, obviously, um, and have done good work and other stuff, but. I don't know. Their performances didn't land with me here. Um, yeah, I kind of agree with you about Abby Lee's character. Just felt like a real cliche. Um, you know, the supermodel character who's just like on her phone and all this stuff um, and obsessed with her image. And Well, she um, has cal- like whatever that ca- like the calcium, calcium deficiency. deficiency yeah. yeah. Um, and I, so one thing that confused me is like the character who's epileptic, right? Jaren's wife, I guess. Um, she early in the movie before they're on the beach she has like a seizure in the restaurant or whatever and it seems mm-hmm. like it's implied to me that everyone is is there because all the other characters are there in the restaurant and it's like implied to me that everyone sees this but then later on the beach when she starts having a seizure they're all like freaking out like they don't understand what why she's doing it like that like they you know never mm-hmm. witnessed Maybe that's just a plot hole or something. I just thought of it as I was going through the characters in my head, but that was one thing that I mean it's an oversight, but is it a is it a plot hole? Sorry, like I don't know if it makes a difference. A lot's yeah, happened in the course I, of the day. They may not sure, remember. Sure, it's not not a plot hole, I guess, but uh, you know, it's just a, a weird well, is, is Rufus's character I can't remember. Is his character dead by then? I can't remember when. No, no, he doesn't ordered. die. He doesn't die until until the night. Until late. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Oh God, he has he, a gets, he gets death. killed by Jesus. what? Vicky, yeah, Vicky Craves, right? The tetanus or whatever infection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that part of it was weird. Uh, yeah, Ken, Ken Leung as Jaron. That's one I would want to go back and, and rewatch a little bit to try to see. Because, because again, like some of the bits, like him saying repeatedly, "I'm Jaren." I don't know. You could, I could come down either way on whether I thought that it was 
intentional comedy or whether this was just really weird dialogue that that got thrown in there um kind of like the the bit about the little boy right alex wolf's character and how he starts off like and he's like as a kid he's like goes around to everyone asking what What their their name and occupation occupation is and it's so funny the way like again it's it's like it's not like good like it's not like smart the way that it comes back around but i'm just like you just have to like shake your head and like kind of smile at the end of the movie right when when like that whole thing pays off because the police officer or whatever is there uh, at the resort at the end um and you know he's able to they're able to call in the authorities and arrest you know the masterminds behind this whole clinical trial thing or whatever but that you know that's that's the payoff from the fact that he has this weird ticket that the beginning of the movie of asking everyone what their name and occupation is and it's just like it's so forced in there to like to set up this moment um yeah. that like again it's not good but i'm just like okay like i had fun with it um mm-hmm. so that i guess you know that's my rambling take on um, the cast and, and performances. I, I definitely would give the MVP here to to Rufus Sewell. I think, I mean, I think Alex Wolf is always good. And um, I thought some of his um, emotional moments worked. I, I mean, I, I think he's a good actor at, at emotional moments, like hereditary. That's that's all he does. Um, he's good in Castle on the Ground as well. Like really showing the that pain, right? When Eliza Scanlon's character who, you know, they're supposed to have some sort of relationship that forms over the course of the movie. When Oh, don't worry. You know, we're going to talk about that. Don't worry. When Eliza does what Eliza does, and that means she dies in the movie, um, you know, I felt his pain. So I thought that was effective acting. Yeah, what is she? Oh, oh for 4 now in, in movies? She is. <laughs> oh, poor, poor girl. <laughs> She'll live one day. <laughs> it would have been the biggest twist of any of M Night's movies if she had actually survived. Like, let's. Be I wonder which here. which director is going to be brave enough to cast her in a role that she doesn't die uh, in the movie. We'll see. Still, TV. she needs to be a final girl. That would be such a great like meta joke. Yeah. If there's a horror movie where she is the final girl, and obviously everyone else dies except for her, and then the twist Scream is that six. she all she also dies. That would be the that would be the biggest double twist of all though. She's the final girl and then she also gets That's killed. like the yeah, like it's like in freaky or whatever. There's like a when you think you think it's over and then nope, they, they just add this this uh, you know, two or three minute scene in there in the end. It, yeah. Vince Vaughn comes back and, and kills Eliza Scanlon in the end. Yeah. Sad. Uh, yeah, poor Eliza. I didn't have much hopes for her in this film to be honest. I saw her name in the cast. Right. I was like, no, no way. She's making it out of this one alive. Yeah. This, is, this ain't gonna be it. Um yeah, I, I agree. I'm totally on board the Rufus Sewell train here. I'm really impressed. I I don't think I'd seen him really in anything before or not of anything that I could that like comes to mind. I mean, I know he was in Marvelous Miss Maisel and he's play he's had like major roles in other television shows. But I'm thinking movie wise, I can't think of anything that he's really jumped out at me. Um if I've even seen anything that he's been in except for the father earlier this year. So he's really popping for me over the last six months or so. And I'm here for it. I think he gives a great performance. I do think his uh, Missouri uh, Missouri breaks is the movie Scott, by the way. That's right. Yeah. yeah the Missouri breaks. That is. Right um, and I think that that bit works really well and is one of those things where every single character who's sick ha- feels like has some kind of bit. I think this one works well. Um, as the comedic relief, go ahead. 
and I have sorry, I forgot to mention the funniest character, which is definitely mid-sized sedan. Um, oh, yeah. The fact that he just like states that as his name. And again, there's like a very dramatic moment or scene or whatever where like another horrible piece of dialogue. Well, I don't know. They're they're all, you know, reflecting on the plight that they're in and talking about the seriousness of the situation. And somehow he gets his asked what his name is and he goes, my name's Midsize Sedan. <laughs> I la- I mean, I laughed out loud. Well, the first the time they ask him his name, he does say his name is Brendan. And then later yeah. he, he says his name mm-hmm. is, mid-si- is Midsize Sedan um yeah it's funny again i'm just i i'm not i don't know i don't i don't that one maybe that one i can believe might have been intentional but i'm just very skeptical yeah i don't know just something about like the tension between him and roof i mean obviously until it turns like grizzly like sure uh, but something about like the weird tension between the two of them and like rufus sewell just constantly like you know looking at him like he's the cause of all this and then Mid-sized sedan just being like, bro, like, I'm not, you know, like, I, I was yeah. doing my own thing or whatever. Like, you know, I, I was with this girl. Like, just, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing is that yeah. at, at the beginning, you're totally on, I think you're totally on board with, like, the, you know, obviously, as sort of an omniscient view, we kind of know. I mean, if you've seen a trailer, you know going in what the hook of the film is, right? But, like, if you really put yourself in, in Rufus Sewell's character, Charles's shoes, it's very believable. I mean, like, there's no other explanation why this girl is dead other than this guy is here and, you know, her body's washed up on the shore. Um, it, it makes a lot of sense for sure. But yeah, I mean, obviously things devolve quite a bit. Character wise, you know, the thing for me is, I guess, kind of opposite of you. I, I honestly really did feel like I was connecting well with Guy and Prisca. I really liked those characters. Um and I like the children as an individuals, but again, I just didn't quite get there with the with the relationship and the dynamic. And part of that is because, again, you I, I don't feel like they have much time to actually bond on screen during this. I think you get a lot between the parents because they are ultimately the main characters of the film for yeah. the first two thirds of the movie. And I think you get also the parents and the children sometimes. But like it feels like this, you know, I think it's, it's Trent is is Alex Wolf's character. He's like mm-hmm. not even on the screen for like a third of the movie because apparently he's just chilling in the tent with Eliza Scanlon, which we can <laughs> yeah. get to in a moment. One of the more disturbing things I've one of the like the more just like com- like concerning things that someone thought was a good idea to put into a movie. Um, That one was that's such a bizarre choice to leave that in the movie. Um, I know that was probably in the graphic novel, but woof. Um, but yeah, I just feel like I wasn't getting much between the siblings until it was kind of too late for me. And so I kind of do gravitate towards the characters of Guy and Prisca. And I think that their character arc, frankly, is the most satisfying. And I find it to be cut short a little bit by the nature of the film. And it did leave something to be desired, I think, because it did feel rushed in some ways. But that I think that's another reason why I felt like the air was sort of out of the balloon on the second day on the island, because what I felt was sort of the hooks that are like the thing that had the hooks in me the most were the relationship between the parents. And so I found it difficult to get as invested in the last 20 minutes of the film. I think because of that, because they, because they are gone. I mean, I like, I like the idea of the tension being that, well, they're, you know, they're getting a divorce. Like they're, they're possibly at the end of their relationship, but also she has this debilitating, debilitating, 
debilitating medical condition, right? She has a stomach tumor um, that, you know, makes it kind of like, you know, weird, I guess, from from his perspective, from Gael Garcia Bernal's perspective, like, oh, we're getting a divorce now when like your wife is at her absolute lowest point, right? Um, but, but she's the one that's asking for the divorce, though. Well, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but <laughs> I don't know how science works, but surely that that isn't how you just like treat a tumor right like they literally just like cut it out of her and like everything's fine after that like well i, just, I think so that so there's they definitely just open something. her up right there just pull it out which by the way i cannot believe that they got that in a pg-13 movie like them just pulling this bulbous tumor like out of her stomach forget bulbous tumor a boulder basically out of her yeah. stomach um i look i think that it's a bit hand wavy it didn't bother me so much I think the way that you pull it off is because the time is moving so quickly. Your blood's clotting so quickly. Your wounds are healing so quickly that it's kind of able right, yeah, to work. And so you don't bleed to death or whatever. Again, very hand wavy. I'm on. I, I do agree with you to an extent, but I just didn't feel like that was the that was the issue that this movie was fighting the most with was believability of whether or not you can yank a, you know, sure. a, like a, I don't, yeah, benign or a big, malignant tumor. It wasn't a big issue for me either. I was just like. Yeah. Well, if this is all that it takes, then why hadn't they done this already, right? Like, it, sure. it took them, like, 30 seconds to cure her of, of cancer, basically. But I guess that's the point, to, yes, your, to your point, right? Cancer. Like, that, that it's yeah. the island. Well, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Well, that, cause, so that's the thing that confused me a little bit, because she was saying the tumor was benign, right? And they're, like, argument at the resort before they left, and that the tumor had nothing to do with the divorce, which we learned later is because she cheated on guy and kind mm -hmm. of just felt like the relationship was at its conclusion and then obviously there's a significant emotional change over the course of their time on the beach but yeah i i really liked the the character arc there that was the one i think i was most invested in and yeah i think i've said my piece there scott the only last thing i want to talk about before we do wrap things up because i think we have been sprinkling sort of the story is one just i really do feel like it's worth talking about just like how ridiculous this whole thing with alex wolf and eliza scanlon's character is like i cannot believe someone didn't take Shyamalan aside and be like dude you should not have this in the film like i found it incredibly i mean i found it frankly one of the more disturbing parts of the film i mean yeah i don't know what what are your thoughts on this before i guess i, I mean are you just referring i'll be honest it's not something that i like spend a lot of brain are you just referring to the fact that she's like a child basically when they start like when they first arrive on the sure, island. Sure, yeah. They, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I found it disturbing. I mean, both that, of them are children. Yeah. I mean, they're both like six years old, right? Like he's mm -hmm. six, and I don't know how old her starting character is supposed to be. I think maybe probably also six. Yeah. And then like one of the first major things that happens to these characters in the movie is that she and Alex Wolf apparently have sex and off screen, pregnant, yeah. And she gets pregnant and has this child in the span of like twenty to thirty minutes. I found that to be a pretty disturbing thing in the film. And not in like a not in a good way. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I get it didn't bother me as much. I, I just think that the romance part of it or whatever is just so half baked that like it almost just doesn't even register. I mean, yeah, that's to me the thing as too. like, yeah, yeah like it, there's almost just not even enough of it there for you to, sure. to get worked up about. But I, I totally get that if you if you start thinking about it for more than a minute, then yeah, I, the, the, implications the implication of it. Are, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, I know that they're aging quickly and they're not six or whatever when, when this particular time thing is happening. But like, man, I, I don't know about that. That's like pretty 
pretty it was pretty rough for me and it seems like it seems like it'd be such uh, uh, and also it barely even comes up at all after like it happens and it disappears and no one even talks about it anymore it's like not it's like not even an important part of the movie right but like yeah we spent like five or ten minutes on it yeah doing this thing that's ridiculous it doesn't tie into story arcs at all like i guess like it's emotional investment between these two characters but i mean they're killing eliza scanlon off like 20 minutes later in the movie it's like not like it really matters that much it doesn't really feel like it's driving anything in the film other than maybe like i don't know poor decision making on alex wolf's part but he doesn't even make a poor decision out of it anyway because parents don't let him do that i don't know like it's just weird it's a weird inclusion in a part of the film that fit that felt yes engaging but also overstuffed and blocking any sort of like emotional development from some of the key characters in the film um just going back to that point that i was making earlier that was kind of my main problem with it scott it Feel free to add anything else there. If not, if not, might as well just talk yeah. very explicitly about how we feel like this movie ties up. We've talked, we've referenced it a little bit. We've talked about it a little bit, but just to talk about it in more detail. We do find that you know this whole island um, trip is is a sort of big ruse for this accelerated clinical trial program that these resort owners are running. We'll say when it does go through the sort of lab area of. Uh, the hotel, the resort, there's a wall of like what, like the initial founders, whatever, who I assume are the people who discovered the beach and were like lost on the beach the first time. And Mike Jalakis' name is one of the people yeah, on I noticed the wall, which I thought was so funny. I, get, I mean, and of course, M. Night appears in the movie as he always does. So, he has yeah, like a major just, role in this one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. I mean, I guess he has kind of a, he appears pretty frequently throughout the East Rail trilogy as well, but um, but yeah, I mean he always he always pops up. But yeah, I did notice that as well. And yeah, I mean we haven't we haven't mentioned him, but I think Mike Jalakis does great work again here. Like I think so the you camera like, work so you is like really the cinematography because I think a lot yeah, of people are complaining was... about the cinematography. Interesting. No, I found I, I don't think it's his best work. Like the I still unnecessary think best... amount of shaky cam. I think is the specific problem that people have. I still think his best work is with David Robert Mitchell, but um, yeah. I, I think. Uh, I did. I didn't mind it. Again, interesting camera techniques, fluid camera techniques that you've come to expect. I mean, these are hallmarks of of Shyamalan's films as well. Even before Jalakis was ever shooting them, um, you know, the these types of things. I feel like the shaky cam, I guess, didn't bother me because I feel like, again, there's a lot of like running back and forth and just like everything is is w- turning on a dime within like minutes. So I feel like it. It it uh you know accurately captured the minute to minute anxiety that these characters were going through. Um, yeah, how it didn't how close to the screen did you sit when you were watching? Just out of curiosity. Midway in the theater, that was that's where I usually try to sit. So yeah, I think if you sit too close to this to the screen in this film, you actually like might get a little sick watching it. If you're like yeah, I mean I wouldn't sickness. recommend sitting that close to the screen at any movie, but that's fair. Sure. So, but I mean I I also don't get this, but like every single screen I go to that has like a lot of tickets sold, there's like some people on like the second or third row when they don't yeah. need to be. Like there's no, plenty no, of there tickets are, behind yeah. them, and I'm like, what are you doing? On mm-hmm. like I like in in the big IMAX theater that I go to near me at Lincoln at Lincoln Center. I mean I sit on the back row and I feel like I'm still almost too close to the yeah. screen. Um, and there's people sitting on like the third row. I'm like, man, you're not even seeing half the movie. You can't even see the whole That's screen. Crazy. There's no way. These guys have like ripped out their eyes and put like fish eyeballs in or some some crap to get like 
the Soderbergh fish islands. If that's... I was about to say, it's <laughs> Soderbergh, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, for, for me, I guess just to talk more explicitly about, about this twist, because I did get us off topic talking about Mike Jalakis. Um, I look, I think it's a real, I actually do think it's a really interesting concept to have this sort of like ethically very questionable at best um, clinical trial talking yeah. about like the ethical quandary of they're saving maybe millions of people's lives, if not more finding ex- utilitarianism. Like yeah. I mean, yeah. Very utilitarian of them. Um, and again, like I just like th- that is an interesting question. The film does nothing with that. And that's the main problem that I think I have with like a yeah. lot of these key hooks is that it's asking the right questions. I, I am on board with you. I think the question of whether to give up, on the island and accept your fate in quotation marks or continue to fight is a really interesting question not explored whatsoever to any satisfactory end in my book and that's the main i think um you know disappointment i think i have with the end of the movie and feeling like it's kind of falling flat maybe yes one because the characters i was most invested in had died but two the questions are asking they're not asking them and exploring the answers to them in any interesting way. They're just positing them and moving on with the story. And I don't know. I think you feel a little yeah. bit differently than me, but I'd be curious well, to hear it. here's what I would say. I, I don't know that I feel that differently for you. I just think that for me, the movie gets more credit for actually even asking the questions in the first place. Like maybe it doesn't I think it's necessarily lazy. I think it's go lazy. all the way. No, see, what I think is lazy is what they did in Black Widow, where they set up the question of, oh, well, what happened when our hero did what she thought she had to do and killed this little girl to, you know, kill this villain, to, to wipe out this villain or whatever. I, I, and then I'm, they totally I'm ready to backpedal out of it. I'm ready to relitigate that because I think it's more interesting that the, that character is not dead because that not only does Natasha have to live with the fact that she tried to kill a four-year-old girl, she has to live with the fact that what she turned her into was worse than someone who died. She turned her into a monster. Well, and talk I think about that's... things that don't get explored in the movie. I mean, that <laughs> what you're describing there, I feel like is not in the movie, but um, well, sure. But I, yeah. but I think that it's the. I think it. You. I think it's. I think it's hard to say that Black Widow is lazier than this, in my opinion. Talking about these key thematic questions, I think they do about the same. Agree to disagree. I mean, I think again, there, there's enough there in just posing the questions, maybe leaving us to think about them a little bit, than of sort of backpedaling out of it, which is what, at least what I felt that Black Widow did. But yeah, no, I I, I mean, I, I agree that I don't think they they really go that much into it. But um, yeah, the, that question is certainly there. The, the question of whether these people in the labs are, uh, you know, what they're doing is morally right or not. Um, I mean, there are parts of the ending that I like. There are parts... That, one twist that I wasn't that crazy about and that I did feel was hand wavy was the the code, the secret code, right? That this kid um, who is like the the nephew or something. Of the, yeah, he get you know, they have this secret code early in the movie that they're using to communicate with each other, him and Trent. And, you know, from the very beginning, especially when, you know, you're watching a Shyamalan movie, it's like well, I wonder if that's going to ever come in handy again, like in the movie. And of course it's like, oh yeah, he gave me this code or whatever that I never actually solved before. This has just been sitting here the whole time. Um, well, he he and, had solved it before. No, no, no. Well, he hadn't solved this specific message, right? 
Yeah, he hadn't decoded the specific message, but he he seen the code, I mean, like yeah. he had the code before. Yeah, no, no, no yeah, no. Yeah. If I phrased that wrong, that that's oh, on me. But no, no what worries. I meant was he. I have this message here that he sent me, and oh, I've never decoded it this whole time. And then, of course, when he decodes it, it's yeah, the secret to getting off the island, right? It's my uncle, or like uncle the, doesn't like the coral or whatever. The whatever. coral, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it, uh, th that part of it was definitely made me roll my eyes. But I mean, I like the clinical trial reveal. I like that stuff. The sure yeah. the way that they get out um, by swimming through the coral, I thought was you know a well staged sequence. Um, really, it just I seems like... so bland to me. That was the problem. There wasn't any. I didn't find any thrill in it. I guess. Yeah, I mean thrill is probably a strong word for my emotions either but i was i was compelled to see if you know to see if they were going to make it um even though you know of course you, you feel like they are um but you know may, maybe not it would have been it would have been interesting too if they had not made it right and just sort of the, i think it would have been extremely interesting for one yeah. of them not to make it or both of them not to make it and then because then you actually have to answer those questions that it's posing about the ethical nature of it sure yeah i mean again i, I don't necessarily disagree with what you're saying i just think Asking these questions combined with the overall vision that Shyamalan has mm -hmm. is something that goes further for me than I guess it does for you. Yeah, I guess I just kind of view it as similar to what we were. I mean, the Black Widow reference, I think, is is apropos because I think that these questions that it's posing, you talk about backpedaling. Like that's kind of, I guess, how I view what they're, they're asking this question. But we don't have to answer it because they find this clue, they get off the island. We're asking this question about whether it's ethically sound, but we don't have to answer that question because they're getting arrested for for what they did well i mean the, the question is still there because all these people still died and well the question is still there in black widow too i think it's i just think it's similar right um in my mind it's still similar but we disagree on that and that's okay i just think that um like again i think they're really interesting questions i again i like the reveal that they're doing this clinical trial i think that's incredibly interesting mm -hmm. um but yeah it doesn't doesn't land the the plane and uh, M. Night Shyamalan needs to be better at his job. He needs to make sure, wait, and confirm that they don't make it out. Uh, and, uh, and, I mean, look, I, the last thing I'll say, Glass, I feel like, had, I, you know, you know, it was, I'd had a similar issue with. Um, yeah, that, that ending, ending was just crazy. <laughs> they kind of jumped the shark. They kind of yeah. jumped the shark in the ending of of Glass, but still, still a compelling movie. Um, sure. I don't know which one I, I liked more between the two yeah, of them. I think I like Glass more too, just because of the emotional payoff of. I, I felt like it, it ended that trilogy in a satisfying way, like the very end, at least. Not like again the the twists the and twist. stuff that come in the end jump the shark a little bit, but um, that last scene of them in the train station, um, there and and what they're able to accomplish with getting the word out about these superheroes, um, that was like a, a great way to end the trilogy. I felt like and what the whole thing was about but how many years before uh, some universal hands some other director uh a, a sequel i hope i'm dead well take a visit to this beach you don't have to worry about that <laughs> fair enough all right scott what was your favorite scene or moment from old that's a tough one um i guess you know again i liked some of the comedy elements um the mid-size sedan i just found to be a hilarious character and um, even from the beginning with Maddox, the daughter, like just recognizing him sitting over there. And, um, and again, the, the weird schizophrenic bursts of Rufus Sewell's character, um, mm -hmm. 
I had fun. I laughed during this movie. Like I laughed several times. Um, it was it was yeah. fun to watch just how how kooky and how out there M Night was willing to get. If you're not laughing at certain points in this movie, I think that you might you might just not be in the right headspace when you're watching it. I'm not I'm not sure. Like I, I think you may be taking it a little too seriously. Maybe I don't know. It, it it's definitely trying to be funny at times for sure. Um, That's how I felt about Midsommar as well. Yep, I think I yeah, you know, there's definitely some well, weird things. Yeah, except, you know, people thought that they were they were laughing because they thought it was bad, but they were no, yes, the movie yes, actually wanted exactly. you to be laughing. That was Midsommar. Yeah, I was I was gonna say that. I was gonna say I think that people did enjoy laughing quite a bit at Midsommar, but unfortunately I'm not sure that everyone was on the same page <laughs> for that. Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh yeah, I, I'll see. I think that, you know, there are we haven't really talked too much about Thomas E. McKenzie, but I did really like her performance as well and she has a couple moments um with vicky creeps that i think were were some real highlights for me so some of their scenes together talking about again like what what this character of prisca has done wrong and the fact that she cheated on her husband the fact that she's sort of like destroyed their family um or at least would have if life had gone on normally i think that's a really interesting like emotional weight uh, on the film that you know the island has given them a bit of a second chance to amend and make things right in an abbreviated way and i found again anything to do with that arc was the most emotionally satisfying part of the film for me so i did like a couple of their specific exchanges talking about you know whether or not maddox could accept you know what her mother had done and forgive her right cool out of 10 what are you giving old here's what i will say um the movie is not great again for some of the reasons that we've talked about but it is enjoyable and i guess ultimately what i hope this movie does is that it gets people to watch or rewatch some of Shyamalan's other films uh, i mean it gets them more intrigued about um visiting his films because again i think there's there's better out there to discover and uh mm-hmm. this is this is a good taste for what um again i think he represents which i do think is something important so 7.1 for me it was a fun time yeah, I I like I said, I was quite engrossed by it on the whole, but I just found the emotional heft of it to be lacking in a film that I think kind of required a little bit of emotional heft to sort of complement its its tension and the stress that it kind of induces over the medius part of it. Um so not as not as high as you. I'm giving it a five point oh. Uh definitely I think Shamalan's worth checking out though, other movies. I would definitely recommend that. Um unfortunately I don't know if if people are watching this movie and saying, hey, I should go check out other Shyamalan films. I think that, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully I'm wrong. Don't check The Last Airbender out, though. Don't do that. No. Check out that's, check out The Village. That's the one I mean in particular, because I feel like it has been unfairly lumped into like the, his the happening and the bad films. Yeah, and it is it is not. It is, it is excellent. Shyamalan facts. All right, Scott. That'll do it for our discussion of old. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll be talking about a piece of news about another horror director who we just referenced, his new film, and uh, a trailer that I think has both of us quite excited. We'll be right back. Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. As I teased before the break, 
Scott, one of your favorite horror filmmakers who you did mention just a few minutes ago uh, has been announced to be, I guess we already knew he was directing this film, but some of the cast members were announced. Why don't you tell us more about that? Yeah, uh, so this is the latest from Ari Aster. Um, This is a film called Disappointment Boulevard, um, which is not a place that I have ended up on after either of his films. Uh, Those, of course, being Hereditary and Midsommar, two of the best horror films of the 21st century, for sure. Um, And This one, they're keeping the plot details kind of under wraps, but it does seem like maybe it's going to be a little bit of a tone shift for him. Um, Again, like the one-sentence little... Uh, you know, plot summary that I've read of what we do know almost makes it sound like a biopic. But um, again, I, I they haven't really revealed much, so it, it's hard to say. But uh, we already knew that Joaquin Phoenix and um, Patty Lapone and Nathan Lane were going to be starring in this film. And, and since then, uh, three new cast members have been um, added to sort of round out the cast from what I understand, those being Parker Posey, Stephen McKinley Henderson, and Zoe Lister-Jones. Um, Parker Posey, Scott, somebody who I think is a, an underrated, unsung gem of an actress. Um, a, a comedically phenomenal. Like, if you know, go back to what she did in the, the 90s and stuff with, you know, getting her start in Days the Confused. Um doing all of the Christopher Guest movies, uh, Josie and the Pussycats. If you've never seen that, her villainous performance in that movie is just an absolute delight. Um, but, you know, we've seen her do dramatic work as well. Recently, something like Columbus, I guess, is what comes to mind for her. Um, I just think she's really talented. I'm glad to see her popping up in this. Stephen McKinley Henderson is, um, you know, a great character actor. And, and this is something interesting that I, you know, noticing about those names that I've read out. And I mean, you'd have to think this is intentional, but uh, who knows? But Stephen McKinley Henderson, Patty Lapone, and Nathan Lane, all more well known for being stage actors, right? We're talking about like Tony nominated, Tony winning actors here. Um, Stephen McKinley Henderson in particular has really only like gotten that involved with movies in the past few years. Um, and like, you know, he did Fences, right? Like Fences is something that he starred in on, like in the play before he did the movie. And then, you know, Denzel Washington translated him to the movie. But, you know, I love his performance in Lady Bird as Father Leviach. Um, and he's been in some other films in, you know, the past few years as well. So I think he's a great addition. I think he's a, a great character actor. Zoe Lister-Jones, of course, I know more from her directing work. Um I said this about after I watched her last film, how it ends this year at um, Sundance. I'm like, she's now two for two on movies that I feel like should have just been absolute home runs for me based on like just the setup of the movies. And they both just kind of landed really poorly for Band-Aid, which was her first movie. I did like a little bit more than how it ends. But again, I feel like it should have been more of a direct hit for me. Um, How it ends did not did not work for me at all. but yeah, she, I mean, she's, she acted, obviously she starred in Band-Aid. Um, and did she star in um, How It Ends or am I just imagining that? Yeah, she's the lead. Yeah, she was, wasn't she? All I could think of was Kaylee Spaney, but yeah, she was the lead. Um, yeah. Because Kaylee Spaney was the only good one in that movie. But, um, but yeah, no, she, she starred in both of her movies. But um, yeah, I don't know if I've seen her in anything acting-wise outside of her own movies. Um, but an interesting addition to this cast. I mean, I was going to see the movie no matter what, of course. But um, 
a, an eclectic cast to say the least. Again, when you when you get people like um, you know Joaquin Phoenix and Parker Posey, who are you know actors who have cut their teeth in movies for you know going on thirty years now, um, and combine them with like these you know out there stage character actors. Um, I'm in, you know I'm gonna be really interested to see what he's going for with this movie. And I kind of hope that the plot details and everything stay under wrap because because Midsommar like was pretty like they were pretty cagey about what the movie sort of was. And, you know, in the in the build up to that movie, I feel like like the, the they kind of just gave you the one sentence like stinger of like, oh, it's about this couple who goes on a, you know, retreat to Sweden to work out their differences. And obviously the movie is so much more than that. Um, they worked but, out the differences, yeah, I mean, they? In Ari, we trust. In Ari, we trust. Um, and this one is shaping up to be very interesting as well. Yeah, they, they certainly worked out their differences at that at that festival. I mean, that's one way of putting what happens. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's interesting. Stephen McKinley Henderson, I think that he has been an interesting person to follow the last few years. I mean, he was doing stuff like I mean, he was in Manchester by the Sea, then he was in Lady Bird, then. He was in Devs this past, I guess, the beginning of last year, working with Alex oh, yeah, Garland. Yeah, he is in Manchester by the Sea. Yeah, um, and now he's gonna be, he's like you know one of the supporting characters in Dune this year, which is like maybe right. the biggest That's the right. biggest blockbuster of the whole year, arguably. Between that, and maybe the Spider Man movie at the end of the at the end of the year, just crazy huge blockbuster that he's in. Um, but then he's doing. An Ari Aster horror movie. I mean, like fascinating career trajectory for sure. Maybe it's a horror movie. Again, I don't even think we know that yet. But yeah, maybe it's genre bending. You would think. You would I'd think. I mean, he is that, pairing with A24 yeah, again. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's it's exciting. I'm obviously not as big of an Ari Aster fan as you because you're a huge Ari Aster fan. But I did like Midsommar. I did find it to be one of the best movies of, of a very strong year of film in 2019. You got to um, watch Hereditary. I don't have to, Scott. You don't. Ha- I don't have to watch Terry. You do. You actually do. Should I watch that? Forrest Gump. Which which one should I watch Hereditary. first? Hereditary. <laughs> Great. We have those full are agree- your options. <laughs> we have we have full agreement on, on my Forrest Gump bit continuing. Have you watched well, Forrest Gump yet? No, I, I haven't either. That's the cool. thing. It's a bit between both of us because yeah. Hey, episode episode five hundred. We'll review Forrest Gump if we're alive. Oh then. gosh, we're gonna be. Old by then. What if we were old, Scott? Yeah. What if we were old? Apparently, we're going to read Forrest Gump if we're old. Um, <laughs> but speaking of that Dune project uh, that Stephen McKinley Henderson is in, Scott, a year later, it feels like we have a second trailer for Dune. Obviously, much delayed film. Denny Villeneuve adapted from the ultra iconic sci-fi novel by Frank Herbert. And Scott, like, I- I'm not even going to say any of my thoughts first. What did you think of this second trailer? Yeah, I mean, it's it's absolutely epic. I loved it. Um, I'm, you know, I'm very excited for this movie as well, um, even though I haven't read the book like you have. Um, I, re- I read the book this year recently, yeah. Our friend Brandon is a, is a gigantic Dune stand. Like, should we have like him on the episode, favorite, for that episode for that episode? Maybe we should. Maybe we should. We could talk to him. Um, but, you know, he it's like his favorite book. He's just like obsessed with dune and so he's been talking to me about this movie for a while and he told me after you know watching the trailer so first of all he told me he went to see the preview that they did yeah. at, at the imax 
um, yeah. at select IMAX theaters. They did like a 10 minute preview of the movie. And also there was like 10 minutes of BTS stuff, I think. Um, yeah, there was, yeah. And uh, he said, this movie is going to be incredible. Like this is an absolute masterpiece. And I value his opinion a lot as a Dune stand, right? Because I, I mean, from what I understand, just from Twitter circles and stuff, I follow like, you know, the Dune stand, the Dune stands are pretty exacting and, particular when it comes to how this yeah. thing is going to be adapted um sure. and uh so to hear that somebody like him is fully on board with what Villeneuve's doing suggests to me that it's going to be again it's it's a weird thing right because like you have the people like Brandon and then you have the people like me who are you know just fans of movies right who just i just want to go see a good mm -hmm. blockbuster sci-fi movie and i love you know i like Denis Villeneuve's movies a lot um and yeah. this is what brandon said to me i'm just kind of like mouthpiecing everything from from him because i think he's yeah. you know kind of summed up i guess what my thoughts were but that this trailer felt more like it was targeted at people like me right who do not have a um, necessarily have a background in dune who or who understand like all of the like spirituality and all these like, yeah, weird, I mean, religion's weird, a huge part of the film. Yeah. Sure. Weird lingo and everything like that is the more eclectic stuff that mm -hmm. is going to be presumably going to be in the movie. And it's certainly in the book um, and focused more on like, Hey, this is a big budget action, epic spectacle, sci-fi, you know, thing from Denis Villeneuve. Um, and this is going to be, you know, one of the, one of the biggest mainstream movies of the year. Yeah. Um, and so on in that level, it, it absolutely delivered. Like, you know, I, I'm, I think this is going to be something, you know, again, epic to behold. Um, but also again, on speaking to Brandon about the, the 10 minutes that he saw, I, I, again, I don't know exactly what was in those 10 minutes, but I assume it was I the first also, 10 minutes of the movie, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I am also confident based on that, that they're going to get the other stuff right too, right? Not, not that it's not just right. going to be that spectacle, but like the underlying mythology and philosophy and everything of Dune is also going to be given its due by Villeneuve. So yeah, fully on board. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Cause I, I find myself somewhere in the center, probably closer to Brandon than, 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 than to you, I would say. I read the book earlier this year, probably, you know, first couple months of the year. I think it was maybe March when I was reading it, March, April when I was reading it. And there's a really high barrier to entry to the novel, to be really honest. Like whenever yeah. one of my, I see one of my friends is like starting reading. It, I'm like, it's like worth just like having the glossary at the back of the book, like bookmarked so you can flip back to it. Cause the first hundred pages of an admittedly like 800 page book is like pretty difficult to get through because of all the, the language um i mean i've owned the book for a while now and it's just been too intimidating for me to open yeah yeah i mean once you get once you clear the barrier of understanding what people are saying and getting sort of the crop the the inside baseball of it all it it flies by i mean the, it i mean i absolutely ripped through especially like the second half of the book mm -hmm. um and I, you know, it's one of my one. Of, I don't read that many sci-fi novels, to be fair. But of the ones I have read, it's absolutely my favorite one. Um, and I was already excited because you say in Ari we trust, in Denny we trust, in this household, um, the guy has developed an obsession for sci-fi films, starting with Arrival to 
Blade Runner 2049 and now to this. And I'm absolutely here for it. I said pretty openly, I think maybe when we did our like superlative type awards for the decades that I thought he was the best director of the decade. Um, and I think that he's done pretty much no wrong since I mean, I haven't seen Enemy, but like since Prisoners, I've I don't think he's done anything wrong. Um, but I would I be interested to hear what your take is on Enemy. Well, I, I do plan on watching. So, I mean, I saw Blade Runner 2049 and Arrival this year already. I do plan on trying to watch all of his other films again, which there aren't that many more, to be honest. There's only like four or five more um, to get through. So I'm confident that I'll be able to revisit Prisoners and Sicario and watch Enemy and maybe watch Polytechnic. Um, so like that. Insundies or whatever that film is called. Yeah, Insundies is the other one, I believe. Um, those are like his two, Polytechnic and and Sandy's is like two foreign films that are mm-hmm. a little bit more popular, I think, or kind of got, I guess, got them started. But yeah, I mean, this thing looks, I mean, you say epic. I think that's just like, there's no better way to describe it than that. I think, I mean, the, the scope and the scale of this thing just seems immense. The visual, like visually just completely arresting. Um, I, I find it to be that way at least. And, you know, as I was reading the book and the, and the mental picture that I had of this world and Arrakis, which is the main planet, also known as Dune, um, is I just feel like it, it kind of is like you have a picture in your mind of what something looks like and then you see it in a movie or in a TV show or whatever and you're like, well, actually, that's it. Like, that's it. Like, that's the way I felt about Hogwarts, too. When I watched Harry Potter for the first time, I'm like, I can't picture it any other way than what I've seen on the screen here. Um, so I find it just really amazing what they're able to do just in the trailer. And I mean, obviously, I'm fully spoiled and everything, so I don't mind seeing trailers um, and, and whatnot. Although, to be fair, Dune is not a book about twists and spoil and spoilers and things like that they pretty much tell you exactly what's going to happen from the first few pages of the book and it is about the journey and i trust Denis villeneuve to get the journey right as he's done pretty much every film um you know that i've seen that he's made i think the journey and arrival the journey again another another film that's more about its twist probably than dune would be but blader in 2049 was quite the you know quite the immense journey that you know ryan gosling's you know character goes on over the course of that film and i expect it to be similarly epic if not even more so uh, with Dune. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I hope all everyone in the cast gets their, their due, but I think, uh, Timothy Chalamet, that was something else that Brandon had said was that Timothy Chalamet looks like he's going to be perfect for Paul, the role yeah. of Paul Atreides. Yeah. Yeah. Madib. Um, yeah, I think he's great. I mean, I don't, I won't say this on the podcast. We can, we can talk off air about it, but most of the characters are supporting. I will say that. Yeah. Um, they are very much supporting roles. I don't think there'll be any confusion about the leads in the movie. The other person who also looks like they're going to be great for their role, and this is Jason Momoa. Yep. He plays um, Duncan Idaho. Yeah. Yeah, right. I knew it was a ridiculous name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's honestly like most of the characters have like perf- like perfectly reasonable, suitable names for like the weird like sci-fi space setting. And then there's Duncan Idaho. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does seem out of place. Yeah, like Stephen McKinley Henderson's character is two for Howitt. There's Baron Harkonnen is the villain. You know, Paul Atreides, Leto Atreides, Lady Jessica, I guess is kind of a normal name for Rebecca Ferguson's character. And then Duncan Idaho. (laughs) Duncan Idaho. Why not? Um, Hilarious. Love that stuff. He, yeah, he's, he does fit that character i mean in my mind he fits that character pretty well and i'm very excited josh brolin's character i think fits him really well too um which is like good and we don't we don't get enough rebecca ferguson scott and i think we're gonna get a lot of rebecca ferguson in this movie so i'm excited about that 
Rebecca Ferguson facts. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's just about do it for episode 152. Though, Scott, anything else you'd like to leave us with today? Um, so typically I've been talking about some other stuff that I watched, um, sure. during this portion of the show. And I did watch, um, a couple other 2021 movies this weekend on Saturday. Um, last letter from your lover. Ironically, uh, two of my most anticipated movies of the year came out this weekend. This was one of the other ones. This was on Netflix. Augustine Frizzell, director of never going back directed this. It's kind of a, uh, period piece romance, uh, rom drum. Um, Felicity Jones basically plays a reporter in modern times who discovers in the archives, the, these old letters detailing this sort of torrid affair between, um, this American woman, Shailene Woodley, and, uh, this British guy played by Callum Turner. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I found, uh, the movie to be, uh, pretty solidly made, like it's a well-made movie. Um, maybe just a little bit bland. I do think the last third of the movie is pretty strong. I thought, I think they bring it home nicely. I think there's some nice emotional moments in the last third of the movie. Um, but the thing holding the movie back to me, I guess a little bit was just the lack. I felt like there wasn't a ton of chemistry there between Shailene Woodley and Callum Turner, uh, which is weird considering how much chemistry that the two leads had in never going back. Um, but I think Felicity Jones is always great. I think she's the best part of the movie. Um, and overall, I, it's definitely worth a Netflix watch. This is this is a, a rock-solid Netflix watch. And the other movie I watched was the Woodstock 99 documentary on HBO. That's part of the new Music Box documentary series that they're going to do in from Bill Simmons. Um, he produced it. And, uh, yeah, this is crazy to watch. Um, it's not, to me, as well-made or as um, meaningful as... Summer of Soul and the Sparks Brothers, the other two great music documentaries from this year. Um, but it's crazy to watch, especially when you're me and I only knew a little bit about this event. Um, it's uh, it's pretty nightmarish uh, what what all went down there. And I do think there is some commentary about angry white men and why was everyone so angry? Why like why did they cause this? Why are they? What if they were angry, Scott? Sort of what if they were now? angry? What if they were? Um, so that, that one's worth a watch too. Again, it's on streaming, uh, if you're a music fan or even just a history fan, like if you're a fan of pop culture history, like this is a, a massive moment in pop culture history. Um, and it's, it's crazy to see it all unfold just because like everything was filmed. There's, there's a ton of stuff that's filmed. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's a fascinating watch. So Two recommendations for those movies. Two thumbs up um, for Last Letter from Your Lover and um, Woodstock 99. If you need a streaming watch, I, I definitely think they're both worth checking out. Yeah, I've been back on the TV grind more recently. I had watched Outer Banks catching up before the new season, season drops coming on this Friday. Yep. Yeah, season two on Friday. Excited about that. And then I just recently, as in like literally in the last few days, have started watching Stranger Things. So I'm getting ready. Oh my. To make it all the way back, Scott. And I think that you'd really enjoy Stranger Things, Scott. I think you really would. And, you know, ultimately the first yeah. season, I'm like halfway through it at the first season because it's, you know, eight episodes. The seasons are not very long. Um, it's ultimately just this sort of like period horror mystery film, like supernatural horror mystery um, series. Right. And it's uh, it's pretty wild. Uh, Winona Ryder is, gives a batshit performance. <laughs> her character is crazy. Love her. Uh, David Harbour is really good. 
Um, Millie Bobby Brown is, speaks basically no words. Also great. So far in the first four episodes, but is doing great, doing great work. Um, and Finn Wolfhard had his, you know, pre it introduction here, I guess. Yeah. So good stuff. I will update in the weeks to come on that. Sounds good. All right, Scott, where can people find you on the socials? At Scarby Dent. And I can be found at, at Shelton2013 on Twitter and on Letterboxd. Same for, for Scott Harvey's uh, tag there. And you can also find our podcast on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. Check out the reward tiers if you can support us. We'd really appreciate that. If not, that is okay. You can still find us on all podcast services pretty much. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. I think we're all there. If not, let us know. We really appreciate all of you for taking time out of your day to listen to us chat about old. We'll be back next week with a review, Jungle Cruise. Until then, though, for Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time. See you down the road.